this is Ellie. I'm going to introduce a couple things about this episode before we get started. This is an interview with Mata Brazai, who is a woman that I really respect and admire. And we wanted to have a conversation with her about where power comes from that we can share with our listeners. And what you're going to hear is, is not a direct answer to that and not um, three simple things that you can go do at your office on Monday to have power. What you're going to hear is the introduction of a, a concept called Where You Were Forged that Matab talks about that's really interesting. And I think if that's the one action you can take on Monday, it would be to think about where you were forged and what makes you who you are in the workplace. Because I, I think that not only is it important to understand it, it, it's important to know whether or not you need to overcome it. So think about that a little bit. And the other thing that I was struggling with that led to this interview was the the idea that people think power comes from what your title is. And I, I don't agree with that concept. I think the opposite is true. I think that you gain your position based on the influence and the abilities that you have. But uh, what Matab helped me understand is actually that power in some ways does come from the, the leadership team of a company. And not that those are the only people that can make the decisions or have influence over what people are doing, but that they're the ones that create the culture and that the culture and the community of a place needs to really support everyone's voice and give everyone an opportunity to express their ideas. So in some ways, I was wrong. It does come from a position of authority and a title, but not in the way that I that I was thinking about. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. It's a, it's a really um, interesting conversation with Matab. She's really smart and awesome. And if you haven't encountered her in the Twin Cities before, I hope you do soon. Thanks. Recording? Yes. Did you catch me say, are we recording? Because every episode like, starts with me saying, are we recording? Yeah. It was more like, our, uh, it was like, Recording? We recording. <laughs> we recording. We are. Hi, Matab. Hi, Ellie. Razai. Yes. Yes. Awesome. I did it. Matab Razai. Mm-hmm. You say it, Josh. Matab Razai. Very good. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm going to do an intro. We are very lucky to have Matab Razai with us today. Uh, she's the principal and CEO of Crux Collaborative. And that's a user experience firm here in the Twin Cities. And Matab, I was going to put together a little quick overview of your experience, but there's nothing quick about your experience. It's you have so much experience. You have done so many things. And the summary, I guess, is that you have been working your ass off for years here in the Twin Cities to make the Internet beautiful. Like that's the most straightforward way I can think of to say it. Yeah, and usable. And usable. Yes. Yes. I think more than beautiful, making it usable. And leading other people in the practice of making the internet beautiful and usable. Yeah, helping people Mm -hmm. to figure out how to do that too. Mm -hmm. Clients and your teams. Yes. Do you want to say a few things about what Crux does before we get into our interview? Sure, sure. Um, So Crux really focuses on user experience for regulated industries. Mm -hmm. So uh, a lot of healthcare, a lot of financial services, uh, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. Benefit service providers. Anything where there's a lot of data, Mm -hmm. where the data is regulated, needs to be specific, needs to come at a certain time, in a certain order, in a certain way, and there's a body that oversees it to make sure that things are accurate and fair. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sure. Those types of user experiences. Really nerdy user experiences. Mm -hmm. It sounds nerdy. How long has Crux been a thing? Crux, um, the company has been in existence since 2000, Mm -hmm. but under the name Crux Collaborative for about four years now. Three, four years now. Okay. Cool. So the topic today is where does your power come from? And you reached out to me, I think, to talk about podcasts and mm-hmm. stuff at just this moment when I was kind of struggling and um, had had all of these interactions with, with people who were perceiving power or authority 
or um, decision-making to come purely from someone's title Mm -hmm. and looking to me for help uh, with that. And I was frustrated by it because I don't think that influence and power comes from title at all. I think it's the other way around. And I've always perceived you as being this very influential. Um, I don't know if you think of yourself as a powerful woman, but you you are an influential and um, a person that people pay attention to. Like we, we want to pay attention to what you do. We want to. You're a leader. Um, so I just wanted to. It was the perfect time to have a conversation about that because I was like, "Oh, you're the one I want to talk <laughs> to," and you just came back into my life. We've known each other for years, but you just kind of showed up right at this moment that I was struggling with this. With this, so what does? Um, we'll get into the, um, some details in a sec. But what is your before we talk about regular power? What do you think your superpower is? My superpower. I think my superpower is the ability to see patterns and to distill things. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times, uh, whether it is in sort of personal situations uh, or whether it's professional, it's when a lot of people are talking at once and have a lot of different opinions, mm-hmm. I'm able to listen in a way that can pull out the themes and the threads of what's happening and articulate it to people in a way to get alignment or unity around it. Mm -hmm. So that is a really good superpower. Mm -hmm. Do you use it? um, That seems like a superpower that you would just use all the time that you wouldn't reserve for special occasions. Yeah. I don't think I even realized that it was, I, I mean, I think that there's this thing we all do, which is the things that we're good at. We assume everyone is good at right. and that everyone yeah. can do because it comes naturally because it comes naturally it's like seems so obvious <laughs> and you're like well obviously it's this thing and so i think that um it wasn't even something i myself recognized mm-hmm. as unique or meaningful or a superpower until it was pointed out to me uh just over a number of years both in personal situations and also professional situations mm-hmm. of wow you're really good when there's a lot of things going on and people are expressing things of identifying some key themes for everybody to either agree with or disagree with or align around. Mm-hmm. So, Do you think that comes from work and user experience and it has translated into the way you communicate with your voice? I definitely think that user experience is a part of it mm-hmm. because part of user experience is listening mm-hmm. and uh, just being able to see things from other people's perspectives. And another huge part of user experience is pattern recognition mm-hmm. and being able to see what's happening um, and what the meaningful threads are mm-hmm. in what's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I definitely think that that's been honed by my work in user experience. But I also think that uh, even as a child, I, I remember observing situations and then saying things to my parents or to my friends of like, every time this happens, this other thing happens. And people being like, wow, I hadn't realized that. <laughs> and thinking like, how? How did you not realize How did you that? not see that? It, yeah. It's what happens. So every- maybe you became good at user experience because you had this already as yeah. your superpower. Maybe. Maybe. Can you learn a superpower? I think you can hone a superpower. Uh-huh. I think that you so can much. practice it. Yeah, you can practice it. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know if you have no aptitude for a thing. Right. Because I think that's one of the things I love about uh, de- like staff development approaches like StrengthsFinder, things that are based on what you're good at, mm-hmm. is instead of identifying a lack and then trying to contort yourself <laughs> sure. to fit a thing that isn't what you are, it's identifying yeah. your strength mm-hmm. and being able to say, how can I optimize this to contribute? Right. Asset-based thinking. Yeah. Yeah. What do I have to work with? Mm-hmm. Well, and I like the ones where it's it's like making you think about what you need to unload because you're not very good at it. Yes. Either. Yeah. Like. So it, that's it's interesting that you would um, describe that as your superpower because my my first question after that is, has it been your experience that people when they're looking for a leader and it could be in an organization or in a meeting or just in a project, 
that they will just follow the lead of the person who's the most articulate. Mm. And that person could be dead wrong, but if they can simplify and say, okay, here's a, a simple statement that everyone can rally around and here's where we're going and it's the most articulate, um, people will just follow them because it's the easiest to understand. Have you found that or... Actually, I, you know, in, in listening to that, I actually feel like in many ways, at least professionally, I've found the opposite, which is that often people are so enamored with the idea of something being unique or, or complicated, complicated or, or this idea we have that innovative means that none of us understand it and mm -hmm. it's disruptive. And so, uh, so I think like I've actually experienced the opposite where I have these moments where I'm like, does anyone understand what this individual is actually saying? Yeah. And yet we're all so following it. Do you, do you have any examples of that? Um, I just think, you know, a lot of my initial years of work mm -hmm. uh, was in advertising agencies. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what I found was that what... Of course, no one would ever say it like this. And part of the reason why I don't work in advertising agencies <laughs> anymore is that I do say it like this, is that so much of the work is about distracting people from the truth at hand mm -hmm. and uh, sort of making them enamored with a idea that may or may not exist or yeah. a, a construct or an ideal that may or may not exist that you want them to buy into and then try to attain. Uh, and so I think that that was really obvious to me uh, from the onset was a lot of what was touted as effective campaigns really felt like effective uh, subterfuge. I don't know. That, that's yeah, not the right word. Mirrors. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. have a friend who works in advertising and when people ask her what she does, she kind of does this jazz hands thing and she goes, I'm in advertising. <laughs> and it's hilarious, but it's this whole um, song and dance thing mm -hmm. that she does. Yeah, because <laughs> to describe it's... describe her job. Yeah, and a lot of what you're asked to do is, um, which is sort of very much the opposite, I think, of like product development or software or a lot of... Uh, that is... You're asked to take a thing that actually isn't that substantive, isn't that meaningful, isn't that helpful, and present it in such a way that makes it enticing. Mm -hmm. uh, and sort of like almost an opposite mindset to what I would say a lot of like current uh, and the kind of product development I'm interested in, the kind of software, which is yeah. about improving people's lives. It's about creating a thing that's actually doesn't need to be advertised. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think there's a, a clear distinction between those two things. If you have a really great product or a really great service, you just are focused on telling that story in a way that's compelling mm -hmm. versus like if you're trying to sell, you know, the, the, that multi balloon, like water balloon maker thing on TV, like you're just trying to, to, what are you talking about? Josh? Push units. The thing that... You know the thing. <laughs> do you know what he's talking about? I think I do. But then in that case, you're trying to sell the idea of if of fun yeah, or of excitement. Right. You're Look not actually selling... You can have so is. many water balloons yeah. at the same yeah. time. And How would that make, make you feel? Your life this better. is going to save time. Yeah. yeah. You're going to save time and have more fun in that time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I felt the same way about a lot of different marketing where... Mm -hmm. It just is, you're making up a story. You're not telling the story of this mm -hmm. other thing. Okay, so I want to press on this just a little bit more about the, the difference between the people who um, are just the most articulate and then the rest of the people and who you should follow and who you shouldn't. How do you help the people that have the the right answer or whether it's the more simple version or the more complex version, how do you help the people who have the right answer be the one that enrolls everyone into what they're saying, whether it's um, a more pragmatic approach or something more innovative or something more simple or whatever it is, what kind of skills go into um, having someone follow that person's lead? 
Yeah, I think that so much of that is about culture and context mm-hmm. and about creating the frameworks where the things we're looking at enable the best ideas to emerge. Mm-hmm. So I'll use an example. At work, we use a sketching methodology mm-hmm. when we're co-creating either with end users or with clients. Mm-hmm. And people are always very nervous because they're historically used to this idea that the person who can draw the best uh, gets paid attention to, Mm -hmm. or like their concept or idea uh, is followed. And it's really hard to explain at the outset when they haven't experienced it, that we use a common language for the ideas that involves drawing, but is not about who can draw the best. No. And in fact, the common language enables everyone to share their ideas. Um, And so I think it takes a while to get to the point where then you're able to look at what someone is actually offering Mm. rather than how neatly they have rendered a line or how they've shaded something because Mm -hmm. that becomes irrelevant when Mm -hmm. you use the right framework. And I think organizationally cultures and contexts that enable people to offer ideas and solutions and enable those ideas and solutions to be evaluated and listened to outside some of this idea of the polish of it. I do think that's important. Mm -hmm. I think like absolutely over the course of your career, if your work is to convey ideas and to get other people to either buy into or follow those ideas, you need to hone that craft as well. Yeah. But I think in organizations and in groups, you can't expect everyone to have the most polish. And so you need to create a framework where you're able to examine the idea itself and the validity of what's being offered mm-hmm. in a way separate from the tone and method in and which it's words. being yeah in which it's being offered mm-hmm. and i think um that's an area where i think working collaboratively um and presenting it as shared solutions uh, and not trying to elevate individuals is something that's really key. Mm-hmm. But I do think that it's something that really has to do with how the context and the culture of an organization. Some are really developed in a way to look, to seek that out and to promote it and elevate it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they often then miss some of the best solutions mm-hmm. and ideas. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, I come, uh, I work at a place where we draw a lot to mm-hmm. on post-its. It actually took me a couple of years to feel comfortable with that. Cause I'm not, uh, it, it's not my, it's not my value drawing. Mm-hmm. Um, but we push on people to do it because it's, it's, you know, we'll see people and we'll say, right, put your idea on this post-it and it's, you get extra credit if you do a drawing. And we'll see people grab like four post-its and just write out this, all these words. And we're like, no, how can you simplify your idea? You have to be able to just draw a frame of it or a moment of it to, to express what it is that you're talking about so that we can, we can see it and we can get on board with it. Mm -hmm. And I think then working, one of the things that I have found too, when you're talking about how do you get those ideas elevated is pairing people up um, and accompanying people Mm -hmm. in that. And so like a lot of times when I'm seeing that someone is struggling with it, I'll sit down next to them. And as they are talking or writing, I will try and just, and I'm not great at sketching either, but I'm, comfortable in it because I recognize all it is is a sketch on a post-it yeah. and only needs to convey the idea. And so I'll just it's do not a something. Frame. <laughs> yeah. It's not I'll a, just, yeah. It's not a Rembrandt. Either. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's, post-it. yeah, it's shared language. And I think that, um, and I'll just do that for them. And to the point that then they start to grab it and either Um, add more to it or fill it in or replicate it. And so I think some of that too is identifying when someone is willing, but simply hasn't had the opportunity to see it. uh, And also hasn't had the opportunity to practice it of Mm -hmm. just sitting with them and sort of making it easier, Mm -hmm. uh, removing that sort of all eyes are on you. Mm -hmm. Like 
and I think then people get that comfort. Mm-hmm. Cool. Switching gears just a little bit. Do you think of yourself as a powerful woman? Or do you think of yourself as a powerful person who happens to be a woman? Like, which came first? And did you have to, I guess what I'm trying to get at is, did you have to try harder to become influential because you wanted to have a certain job or do a certain thing or get to a certain point in your career and you had to try harder than other people because you're a woman? Or is this just out of the box? No, I think that I I would completely be lying if I didn't say, I mean, I think there's, I absolutely do feel like I've had to uh, not only try harder, but shift how I operate. Mm -hmm. I don't have to do that anymore. I think like being a business owner, I'm in a position now where I can show up more authentically to who and how I am. But I definitely think that I have had to be very aware of how I experience the world and how I move in the world as a woman. And I would also say very aware of being also an immigrant and a woman of color. Mm -hmm. So um, there was a lot that I knew that from the outset, simply by hearing my name, that someone would know. Make assumptions. Sure. No, right away there's an othering, right? Right. Um, and, And then on top of that, I think being a woman and then trying to learn to navigate within that uh, with all of the meanings and constructs everyone else is bringing to it as well as I'm bringing to it. So how do you maintain your composure and how do you react? Cause I, I will have moments where some people, it happened just today. Somebody said something just, <laughs> just ridiculous. I'm like, really? You're, it was the, um, I don't, I don't even, I don't even want to go into it, but just ridiculous. And mm-hmm. then said, well, that wasn't a gender slur. I'm like, <laughs> no, but it really was. Yeah. That, what, that was exactly yeah. what that was. And the fact that you just said that proves that somewhere in your mind, you know that that's true. How do you, how do you react? It, does it depend on the situation if you call people out and say? Absolutely. And I also think like one of the things that I have found is that humor uh, is something that has been one of my favorite tools and one of my most effective tools. Mm-hmm. Uh, and being able to both present something in with humor in a way to take the edge off, mm-hmm. but also to experience something with humor. Because I think otherwise it's... It's too, easier. Yeah, it's absolutely easier. I think that it also is critical uh, to surround yourself with people who are aware and uh, to the degree that you can. So, mm-hmm. you know, w- we've had clients who very clearly, it's a, it's a group of men mm-hmm. who struggle to hear a thought uh, or an idea when I share it. Uh, and so learning to have humor with it and work with it. And so, you know, in our internal teams, a lot of times there was a group of clients we were working with where this was the case, where jokingly with my staff, I would write the idea on a post-it and hand it to a developer in the room who happens to be male and have him say it. And, and we would, and he would say it. And then the clients would be like, that's a fabulous idea. Yes. Let's do. And we would all sort of laugh about it. But I think like, I think that there are moments where you can identify it and then there's moments where you can affect it. Mm-hmm. And I think that I, when I was younger, I didn't necessarily draw a distinction mm-hmm. between the two. It's harder. And it was very frustrating to me because I felt like if I could see it and if I could say it, I should be able to change it right? Uh, and make it different. And I realized that that's absolutely not the case. You have um, to choose. You have to choose. And I think in many cases you say it and it's slowly over a period of years that Mm -hmm. it can change for some folks. Uh, but, but just being able to identify to experience it and to convey it with humor. That's astonishing to me because I've never personally had that feeling. So it's so weird to, and I've seen it. I've witnessed other men do that where a colleague will say something and it'll get completely passed over. And then I'll wait. I'll be like, 
And I'll go, but what if we do this? And it's their same thing. And I go, that was complete bull crap. Do you know like what would be super helpful for you to do in those situations is to go, hey, guys, I just noticed that we passed over our yeah. female colleague's idea, which was actually very valid. So let's get back to that. Yeah. No, that's I, I'm and really call going that to bullshit start. out with your out loud voice and yeah. not just your inner monologue, because when we say it, we just look like bitches. Like, oh, yeah. you ignored me. But I think that even coming from a man, that still gets yes. really poor treatment. When it's gendered. Like, I yep. think, I think like that's the challenge mm-hmm. is it's an incredibly gendered reception. Yeah. But when it's called out as being gendered, then it's invalidated. Right. So it is an interesting thing mm-hmm. of um, figuring out sort of how and when yeah. people are receptive mm-hmm. to being taught that and they're if, doing it. If it's in a group that I know, I'll, I will say, like, we really need Dude. to focus on that. But <laughs> yeah. that's not common. What's mm-hmm. common is when I have no idea who these other people are and they're someone super high up that <laughs> it isn't good to challenge them on anything, mm-hmm. let alone a gender issue. Because yeah. they just flip out. And it gets really tricky when you're dealing with clients. Yes. So whenever I'm dealing with it with a client, it's like, well, the... The dynamic is just not there for me to be able to yeah. te- to have these teaching moments. Mm-hmm. However, I can prove my value in a different way. I can get around this obstacle mm-hmm. in a different way. And I don't have to have a confrontational teaching moment. And I think a lot of the time, so like with clients, a lot of the time, again, what I'll try to do is um, if I get like, if I'm are trying to, explain something and I get completely negated or cut off Mm -hmm. in a way that feels very gendered, I will try to address it with humor. Sometimes I'll just like make face. And uh, what I have found happens, even if it doesn't affect the person that's doing it, is others in the room compensate, become aware of it. And And then I think that it articulates to them, this is happening and it highlights to them, this is happening. And so I need to point it out less because Mm -hmm. others then become aware. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that if I, what I have found is if I'm able to maintain my personal equilibrium Mm -hmm. when doing that, um, and which is hard because I think a lot of, again, this idea that particularly as women were held to a different standard of not displaying emotion. Men can display emotion. They can display anger. They can display frustration. They can be aggressive. But I think women do the same thing and there's a very different consequence for Mm -hmm. it. So I think like the reality is, is whether or not that should exist, it does exist. And the reality is, is if you've had a career that spans the length of time my career spanned, you learn to accommodate it mm-hmm. and sort of be aware of it. And mm-hmm. so of trying to be aware, uh, and it's hard because I have a very expressive face. Mm-hmm. I, I remember early on in my career getting in, uh, feedback in an annual review about what uh, the person referred to as my screaming nonverbals. Uh, <laughs> I might have those too. Yeah. And so... Oh, uh, is that on my face? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that like, you know, and so I often uh, say to myself like a, a mantra that if, if there could be like a thought bubble expressing my thoughts in a lot of those situations, it would just literally be all caps, neutral face, neutral face, neutral face, <laughs> neutral face. Because... Uh, Maintain that's your composure. Yeah. Because I just find that like... Uh, it helps. I don't like it. It is difficult sometimes to have to really shift how I would naturally be. And to, yeah. it feels like very much like contorting myself. Mm-hmm. But if I have an objective and that objective is to effectively work with a group of people and hopefully also affect some small measure of change mm-hmm. in how, whether it's that they, how they view women, whether it's how they view immigrants, you know, I think that's like a, a whole different topic yeah. right you now. Do some A/B testing yeah. on that. Like but, which, uh, which of you know of I... the you know of the hmm, that's an interesting name. Where did you grow up? You know, which is a common. You know, that doesn't happen to other people at the beginning of business meetings. You know, 
Not many other people right. I work with get asked where they grew up. Uh, Especially in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Do you think nobody a, asks that in Minnesota? Oh, you, they ask me all the time. Yeah. yeah. And do you think there's a blend there of people who are trying to single you out or people who are like culturally interested? I think that that is an How do excellent, you excellent uh, question. And what I would say is that in our culture, white people expect to be rewarded for being curious. Oh, sure. And I think like the standard is that if you are not white, you are other. And therefore I am allowed to be curious about you. Mm. It's okay. It's acceptable for me to suddenly be curious about your origin, which, you know, I don't necessarily think that that's wrong. I just think like the context of it, if I, cause I'll play around with it sometimes and I'll ask someone like, you know, what does Peter mean? And, uh, you know, and, and, and it's like the quizzical look that I get of the, (laughs) why would you ask that? Uh, it, it, you know, and sometimes the connection is made of like, oh, I just asked this person that might have been insensitive and, you know, I'm not on a date with this person. I'm not in a social situation with this person. I'm a professional situation and, Uh, They introduced themselves, and I took the opportunity to ask them about what their name means and where they grew up. (laughs) You know. uh, If you always did that, that would be amazing. (laughs) I had the the first couple times that I met you, I had questions, but I didn't ask them because I wanted to get to know you. I just I I figured my question my questions would be answered in time, Mm -hmm. like where you came from, what does your name mean? What, like yeah. all of these things, like those are things that you don't have to just immediately have an answer to. Mm-hmm. They can unfold over the course of getting to know somebody. Do you but think not everybody feels comfortable with that. I, absolutely. And I also think like even asking ourselves, why does this one person invoke a curiosity in me that no other person in the room does? Mm-hmm. And, is this the right framework? I mean, and I think that um, I'm always happy to talk about that because mm-hmm. uh, I am a first generation immigrant. My parents' immigration story is rather dramatic uh, and I think pretty amazing in all of the changes that they sustained and navigated. But it's more that it's an immediate othering of someone mm-hmm. um, in the same way that I think that back to the conversation about gender mm-hmm. where there could be a woman in a particular role mm-hmm. and I've seen that happen where they're like well how did you get into programming you know or something where they're not I'm used super to that smart and I just started doing but it. they don't but I <laughs> notice that like I rarely see men get asked their origin story right about their career choice. And again, I think like there's nothing wrong with being curious, but I think being aware of where that curiosity is coming from and maybe like the time and place for it Mm -hmm. is something. I've never thought about that. That's, that really actually gives me a lot to think about. So thank you. Sure. Yeah. Um, How do you help yourself through it when you aren't feeling confident when the power's low? Yes, that is an excellent question. Uh, I'm having one of these days myself and I legitimately (laughs) need to know. I think that one of the ways that automatically I have found is um, when I can focus on serving others. So, So it feels a little bit counterintuitive, but... When I am at a place where I feel disempowered, mm-hmm. if I can actually sort of stay in that place, uh, but serve others, like help empower others, mm-hmm. uh, I find that that helps me so much because it, it gives me context. I think like context, um, mm-hmm. because everything is contextual and nothing is absolute. And no matter how powerful we are, there's someone who is infinitely more powerful than we are no matter how much of a struggle we're having there's someone who's struggling so much more than Mm -hmm. we are and I think allowing me folk to take the focus off myself and help someone or support someone takes me out of my own headspace and puts me in a context 
that enables me to sort of see my own situation more mm-hmm. clearly and feel a little bit, it sort of like a little bit unstuck. Mm-hmm. Then I'm able to look at it from a different angle. I think that's one thing. And I also think like cultivating a support structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that I try my utmost to do is to support those around me mm-hmm. and to genuinely only wish them well and to do my utmost to not say negative things or have negative thoughts about others Mm -hmm. because in the end the amount of my personal energy it takes to decide to judge something and then to articulate that judgment I could have spent making something making something or just being happier I just had this moment I think in my 30s where I realized like I don't have to have an opinion on what other pe- a negative opinion <laughs> sure. on what uh, other people are doing. And in fact, I'm so much happier and lighter if I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, You're so lucky that you had that in your 30s because I didn't have it until I was in my 40s. And I was like, man, that was another 10 years. Yeah, but really, it's so <clears throat> amazing. And I think then because of that, I feel like because I can trust myself to genuinely be a source of support and an ear for people... I feel like I'm able to trust my support structure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I've, over the years, just cultivated an amazing group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and Founded on positivity. Founded on positivity and support, who I can just sometimes reach out to and just say, I'm really struggling with this. And I think when you're able to have that foundation of trust and also the vulnerability. I was going through a scenario a couple of weeks ago where I was having a really difficult uh, situation with a client and uh, I reached out to a friend and started to talk about it. And right away it was like, she was like, Oh yes, it's never good when the client pulls out the contract. <laughs> like that is how we know we have not gotten Red flag. To, yeah, we've we're in a bad place if we're going back to the or if and, they've quoted it in any way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and it was like it was it was both funny, it was a relief, it was uh it made me feel not alone. Mm-hmm. It gave me ideas and I just think like the way to do that is it's taken time and trust over a period of years of sort of building that up, that bank of knowing being an ear and a support when people need it and Mm -hmm. also being worthy of their trust and then cultivating that with connections as well. So I think like recognizing I'm not alone Mm -hmm. and recognizing who I can go to Mm -hmm. Um, at which time at which time and just trusting in the idea of being vulnerable Uh, because I think that that's so scary Mm -hmm. uh, to be like this is something hard is happening and I don't know how to deal with it uh, can be really scary Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think I'm really lucky to have people in my life who I can say that to and go there with and who witness it first and foremost, uh, but then share their experiences. Mm -hmm. Well, and particularly in such a small town professionally, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's, it's, um, it's really challenging to be vulnerable with people outside of the company that you work for. It is absolutely. And I think, uh, there was this tweet I saw this week that I loved that it said, friend, how are things? Me, things are good. Narrator. Things were not good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, I loved that because I felt like that's such a common experience mm-hmm. that we all have in those moments where it's like, things are not good, but you have to say that I'm things are good. I'm saying this, but can you look in my eyes yeah. and see? Yeah, and, and I think like that, that aspect. Okay, here's one more question, and then we'll get to the little jar. Okay. Do you know about the jar? I think so. Okay. I think that one of the things that differentiates people who are perceived as being the the most experienced or the wisest or the most influential or powerful person in the room in any given situation isn't that they are the smartest or most experienced, but that they have the ability to 
absorb what is happening in real time and then behave that way mm-hmm. and react to it in a way that is um, like on the fly responsive to, you know, to, to be able to, as an example, learn about a methodology or a process and in real time start acting like that mm-hmm. without having to practice. Do you know people like that? Do you know what I'm talking about? I only know a few people like this. And hands down, when they go into a room, people are like, that's the leader. Mm -hmm. That's the person who knows what's going on here. And it's not. They're learning it as we are. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I also think that um, what I would say is is I agree with you. uh, When there are people who have discernment, uh, then they see that individual as the leader. Mm-hmm. And when there's like a culture that uh, enables proficiency to be seen as leadership. Because mm-hmm. I think like one of the things that in certain cultures, like back to where we started, mm-hmm. this idea of like titles and power, mm-hmm. it's very hierarchical. Sure. And it has less to do with the value you're offering and more to do with the station. Am I going to get in trouble from this person? How will they perceive me? Mm-hmm. And I think that cultures that enable actual contribution to be seen mm-hmm. and as leadership being the idea of who is best equipped to be the person taking us through this experience or leading us through this experience to be actually how leadership is experienced. That's where I think you see like, um, there's that quote that says that modern uh, literacy is the ability to learn and unlearn. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yes. You know, new ideas. And I think like that when you said what you were saying about people who are able to sort of understand something and then begin to behave that way in real time, mm-hmm. that's what it made me think of mm-hmm. is that they're very literate in sort of that idea of the modern literacy. Mm-hmm. They're flexible, mm-hmm. nimble, I guess. I I agree that it, it really comes down to like the culture that yeah. you've created because there's that that kind of company culture where it's like how many people have you eaten to get to this position mm-hmm. like oh that's awesome great job and then there's the the type that do value that proficiency and stuff and I think that other type is the one where you're more likely to get those kinds of of issues where it's it's gender, but it's more like just people being allowed to be assholes and being celebrated for it. Yeah. And and people being submissive to it. Yeah. And I think when you haven't experienced that, I, I think like a lot of times I talk about this framework. I say like what situation were you, in what were you forged? Right. Uh, and because mm-hmm. I think like people who really have the formative years of their experience in different organizations, I call that f- being forged in that type of organization. Yeah. And I think that I was forged in a really collaborative, amazing organization mm-hmm. that allowed a variety of types of leadership. It allowed thought leadership. It mm-hmm. allowed practice leadership. It uh, accounted for a sort of managerial leadership. And the people in charge with the C titles were great at it. They set the vision. They got the obstacles out of our way. And they supported us. And they acknowledged our contributions. And it was really amazing for a while. Uh, until it was acquired. And then sure. it, was it was amazing yeah. until it wasn't. Uh, uh, yeah, it was amazing until it wasn't, I think is a great uh, description <laughs> of many organizations. Uh, and I think that because of that, I had a certain naivete about what could happen. Mm-hmm. And I walked into many a wall. Uh, well, you have a different set of expectations. Walked off of several cliffs. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because I simply thought that if you did excellent work, and focused on the objectives at hand, that the rest would sort itself out. And I just thought that was like a law of science. I didn't realize that that was actually a cultural and organizational thing that's either fostered or not. And so that was a really rude awakening for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I went into organizations where power plays actually worked. Yeah. uh, And where people were a lot, the politicking, I just, it was, and I was 
yeah, looking back, I mean, the shock of it to me of seeing that play out Mm -hmm. and seeing people who I didn't think deserved to win, win, uh, based on... It's infuriating. Yeah. Yeah. But it was also, it just... And It was like such a loss of faith. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Because really, I truly believed, as naive as it was, that you just did the work. And if you did good work, it would all sort itself out. And I think I realized, no in a culture that's created to allow that, that's what happens. I think that's really important. That's a good distinction. But I was forged like the other way. Mm -hmm. I just knew that it could be different. Like, because I had been reading like, um, uh, the founder of a shoe company that you like so much. Zappos. uh, Zappos. Uh, Tony. Yeah. Why? What? Yeah, you you love it. He talks about uh, culture <clears throat> but, a lot. Yeah. But yeah, I had read his book and I was just like, yep, that is that is awesome. And I was reading a lot of of uh, like other ways that it could be and trying to make that change from within this organization, but they just didn't didn't care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, and I think that's also so heartbreaking uh, because it makes you doubt the efficacy of the idea. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, and I think like just that intersection of, uh, intention and power and culture is just a really interesting one. Cause all sorts of things can happen yeah. depending on where the lever is there. Mm-hmm. Where's the lever? Where was I forged? I'm going to need to think about this. Yeah. We might need to have a follow up conversation. Yeah. I, I think it would be really interesting actually to have conversations with people who were forged in healthy yeah. cultures. Well, it's a kind of a VH1, like, where are they now? <laughs> where were they forged? But also of observing that in, in over the years of having employees and really being able to identify like, oh, you come from a corporation. I understand what's happening. Ooh, can we do a live episode with you and call it origin story? <laughs> that would yeah. be hilarious. To play on your yeah. your, your um, origin story, your origin story yeah. thing. But we not echo- in a way that bothers you, but in a yeah. but like to have people come up like open mic style and go, we can figure out your origin style. <laughs> You're not allowed to ask Matab's origin style. She's it's only allowed to tell yeah. yes. tell it. Yes. I mean, you, you could tell it, but I can't ask origin stories. <laughs> You better um, come to the mic knowing the meaning of your name. <laughs> <laughs> because you will be asked. I will also ask where you went to elementary school. Know that too. <laughs> so I don't even remember. Um, yeah. uh, Do you know about the jar? Here's the jar. Okay. It's the random questions yes. jar. And you get to choose a question. All right. You also have to put a question back in. I love that idea. And the random questions jar, just so you know, is kind of magical. Ooh, Excellent. How wide is the gap between your childhood dream and the job you do today? And when will you close that gap? That's fascinating. What a good mm-hmm. question. That we is. Have a lot of great question askers. Yeah. Filling out those. Yeah. Shout out to the question, question askers. Yeah. What I think is fascinating about this uh, is that it's assuming, or maybe in the way I'm reading it, it's assuming that my childhood dream would be a job that I would or a dream that I would align with as an adult. Of <laughs> and not like unicorn also, tamer. <laughs> it's also assuming that you didn't accomplish it and that isn't what you're doing right yeah. now. <laughs> Prove it wrong. But aside from those assumptions, great question, question asker. Yeah. It, no, it, it is a lovely question. People who work in the in digital um, jobs rarely dreamed of working in digital jobs. Absolutely. Because they didn't exist yet. Absolutely. And I think that... Um, the other thing, so back to the, to keep bringing it back to the origin story. I mean, I think a lot of uh, first gen immigrant uh, mentality is uh, about striving, and, and and I think like, you know, it, it's interesting because this idea of excellence in whatever you do. So so I don't think that in the same way that maybe my kids have ideas or dreams about what they want uh, to 
to be growing up. They've had different ones. Uh, I took a weaving class on Saturday with my youngest and he told me that maybe when he grows up, he'll be a weaver, you know, like I've just that sort of like anything is possible. I definitely think I was more pragmatic, but I would say that I always felt like I wanted to work with friends. Uh, and I feel like I do. So I think like in that way that I genuinely can use the word love and mean it. I love the people I work with. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so like in that way, I uh, have accomplished it in the way that I think like I kept imagining that I would have a store and we would sell makeup, Uh, nothing (laughs) at all like it. And I'm totally okay with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wanted to be a cowboy. Oh, really? Yeah. My Delta is very big. Hmm. What about that appealed? You're kind of like a digital cowboy right now, <laughs> wrangling projects. I'm a digital and, cowboy. Yeah. And No, yeah. I wanted to be a legitimate cowboy who lived out in the middle of the desert because that's what I was when mm. I was a child, a cowboy. I rode horses. Yeah. And I wanted to keep doing that for the rest of my life. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Do you think you would enjoy it if you did it now? If I didn't know any better. <laughs> if I'd kept doing it. And that was what I knew. I would enjoy it. But I wouldn't go back to it. I've thought about it a lot. And I wouldn't go back. Interesting. Mm -hmm. How about you, Josh? I wanted to be a special forces soldier, (laughs) an astronaut, or an archaeologist, like but not a real archaeologist, an archaeologist like Indiana Jones. So his delta is pretty small. So yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I've already done all those things, basically. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've done none of those. Just yeah. Not even the Indiana Jones one. I did an archaeological dig, and I think that's when I like just one where it was like, oh, here's this bone that we found eight thousand times. You're allowed to. Brush it off. Brush it off a little bit, like that kind of a thing. (laughs) And then I was like, wow, real archaeology sucks. (laughs) This is uncomfortable. You have have to to sit in the dirt. Sketch everything. Because this was back when, you know, you didn't just take a digital image from a drone or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Back uh, in the day. Back Way back in the day. And uh, I just sucked at drawing, too. So never would have worked out. Yeah. They had terrible, like, I remember, like, sort of the options that they gave us <laughs> were horrible. Yeah, where you Who have would that want to do 50? any of those things? <laughs> yeah, I just remember, like... Maybe that's why the internet was invented. Possibly. Let's make a new future. <laughs> there we go. We don't want to be archaeologists and sit in the dirt. Um, Matab, thanks for coming in and talking to us. Thank you. Yeah, Let's go off Matab. air and have one more drink. There we go. Okay. <laughs> And Get us out of here. Yeah, I'll do that here in a second. I got to figure out how to do this. <laughs> Thanks again for listening, humans. As always, you can find us on Twitter at ProHumans, on our Facebook page, ProHumans Podcast, on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash ProHumans, or go the easy route and log on to ProHumans.com where you can find all that stuff and more. This is Danger wishing you a professional week.